So um, we are in Exodus 28, but to sort of put things in order here, uh, the Lord is in the process of explaining how they should build the tabernacle, the tent, in, in which they are going to worship the Lord and then all of the things that follow, where we're going to pick up, we start discussing the priesthood, but in 26, the Lord had talked about how the tabernacle should be made out of fine linen, uh, make curtains of goat's hair to cover the tabernacle. Uh, the boards of acacia wood were described, uh, covered with gold, and then the linen veil was uh, detailed there in chapter 26. and 27, the Lord talked about the altar that was to be made uh, of wood uh, overlaid with uh, bronze, and the utensils were to be uh, all made of the same bronze. Uh, there to make this court of the tabernacle all the way around that was going to be made out of fine linen and bronze uh, pillars. So then you come to Exodus 28, verse 1. Now take Aaron, your brother, speaking to Moses, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. So we've seen it building, but this is the birth of the priesthood right here. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, which... Uh, we'll see some particulars regarding them soon and uh, the human failure and weakness in their lives. Also Eliezer and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Now, <clears throat> holy. Uh, we touch on this term all the time and we talk about you know, being holy or those that are holy. And it's important to understand that the term really just means set apart. It has a very specific purpose. In this case, there's that idea of it being, uh, you know, cleansed and purified for the work of the Lord. But more, the idea of holiness means the idea of set apart for a singular purpose, that you're not going to use it, uh, you know, for something else. Um, you know, I, I get chewed out all the time because... I use my knife that I carry for just about everything, you know, dig out the garbage and cut off the thing and eat the steak. And my wife loses her mind. She's just like, it's so disgusting. And, you know, you try to explain, well, I washed it, but right, you were using it for all this garbage before and now. So, you know, you try to listen to the better half with more sense and uh, make some change. But that knife is not holy. It has no specific purpose. It's used all over the place. You know, her knives, on the other hand, are holy. They've been cleaned and set in a very specific place, and you should never use them for anything other than what she intends them for. And that's what holy means here, is that you're set apart for the specific purpose of the Lord. I think it's important to get the definition, because sometimes we get the idea that holy is better than everybody else. And it's not. It's a matter of, are you set apart in your existence for the work and the worship of the Lord? That's what he's describing. That's what he's putting forward here. And wants you know, this whole family and their work to the Lord to be set apart for him. Take Aaron and his brother, his sons, from among the children, 
They may minister to me as priests, Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab, Bayou, Eliezer, make them holy garments for Aaron. We don't want to see these guys out shooting a few baskets around town, you know, uh, running errands in their priestly garments, in the office only. That's where they are to be serving. If you see them out in public and they're in their garments, then you must assume what they're doing has to do with the priesthood. They're out here serving the Lord, that holiness that he wants for them to demonstrate to the people. So for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. They're specifically supposed to bring glory to God and be beautiful. Verse 3. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I've filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. Gifted artisans filled with the spirit. Yeah, that's a thing that I think a lot of people miss sometimes. You know, the understanding that the artistry that a person has been gifted with is from the Holy Spirit. There's that mentality like, oh, there's only a few things that the Lord gifts people to do, and gosh, if I could only become one of those. You know, I'm just a lowly nobody back here, um, you know, but all those people over there in ministry, they're doing something special. If only I could get the... What is your gift? Have you discovered a way? Well, there's no opportunity for that in the fellowship that I'm in. Is there another opportunity? You're not serving specifically that. You're serving Christ. So where are you going to go? What are you going to use what the Lord has given you? Look for opportunities. Look for ways to utilize that yourself. You know, I, I get this all the time with people. You, you point to a specific thing. They're like, ah, I was more thinking that. Okay, you know, are you gifted for that? Not particularly. Use the gift you have. Serve the Lord. Serve the body of Christ. That they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. That he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make. So now we get this detailed description. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. That he may minister to me as a priest. The whole purpose in the service to the Lord is to minister to the Lord. So much of what we do very often in ministry is that others would see it, that people would see it, that people would react, that people would compliment or complain. You know, we're focusing on you know, what is the success of ministry? Obedience. What has the Lord called you to do? Are you doing that? Yes, I am, but not many people are listening. So what? I mean, Jeremiah preaches throughout his whole ministry and has zero congregants in his church. Zero. The Lord specifically tells him, you'll know you're being successful when no one listens. Right? If one person comes up after the service when Jeremiah is preaching and saying, I really liked that. That was great. I think I'll be here next week. He walks away thinking, I have failed. Somebody liked it. His message was going to be one 
that rebuked the people and they're living in sin and they don't want the message. Success was in obedience. If there's great numbers associated with that, praise God. If there's few associated with it, praise God. Are we being obedient to what the Lord has called us to do, that he may minister before me? Verse 5. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen, artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Now, if you, like me, read through this and you're thinking like, how many times is he going to repeat these details? You can tell us one time, gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread. But I can tell us over and over. Because their tendency is like ours, to hear it and immediately forget and do something else. God has to tell them repeatedly, I want you to make this exactly according to the pattern that I've shown you. Nothing else. Don't add to it, don't take away from it. This all symbolizes heaven, God, his throne, Jesus, the sacrifice. You don't want to mess any of this up. You can't, you can't create an image here that doesn't line up with the word of God. So things need to be exactly according to what they've said. You know, even this, you know, the gold for royalty, blue speaking of heaven, purple and scarlet both being royal colors. Jesus' priesthood. We don't want any other colors might look cool. We don't want them in there. You need, follow this church, you need to build whatever you're building for the Lord in your own heart, your own mind, your own life, the world around you, your ministry, according to his plan, not your own. That means you're going to have to be in careful communication with the Lord. In order, oh, I, don't, I don't know when I'm hearing from the Lord. See, now you're getting down to brass tacks. You've got to develop the relationship enough that you start to know when you're hearing from the Lord and when you're not. And now follow those steps. Follow what the Lord is leading you to do. You'll be blessed and everyone else will be blessed in the process. Now here in verse 9, then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, six names on the other stone in order of their birth with the work of an engraver in stone. We don't want just anybody scratching on this. We want somebody that actually you know, knows what they're doing, the actual skill and technique of the engraver. And so like the engraving of a signet, that's very ornate and beautiful. We just, uh, whoever, you got a carver that just does stick figures? We're not looking for him. We need somebody who can actually carve out something in this stone and make it very beautiful. You know, in the world we live in today, everybody's going to get a trophy. Whatever your skill is, go use your skill. Let the next person who's highly skilled in the area do their thing. There are certain things that people are capable of doing. You know, my daughter, uh, Rebecca, annoys all of us because she just picks up an instrument and in like five minutes she's playing it. You know, I'll never forget Tarnia coming in here with 
a mandolin. And Rebecca's saying, oh, that's it. What is that? It's a mandolin. And, you know, two minutes later, she's standing here playing in worship. You know, I've owned five separate guitars in my life. <clears throat> you know, in 50 years, I've tried endlessly to play guitar. And I've settled on I'm the guy that hangs out with the musicians, otherwise known as the drummer. You know, so you got certain skills. Use it, you know, the work of an engraver, like the engraving of the signet. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold, so they're going to be beautiful, too. You shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron, and here's the punchline, shall bear their names like a load, like a burden, before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold, and you shall make two chains of pure gold, like braided cords, and fasten the braided chains to the settings. Now, bearing the names upon his shoulders. You know, there, there are priests, not the high priest. This is Aaron, the high priest. The high priest will always be clothed with this. He'll always have these stones upon his shoulders as he makes his presentation and his worship before the Lord. The other priests have other duties, including the fact that there's a group of them that have to take upon their shoulders the Ark of the Covenant, which, if that stone is there, you can't, you're going to damage the stone. You're not going to be able to carry. It's going to be difficult for His job prevents him from being able to do the job of others. They're all priests, but each has a role. There's a thing within the church today where there are people that, well, elders, you know, in the scripture, you know, the same as pastor. So, you know, elders should be equal to pastors and there shouldn't be any one person leading the church. You know how well that works out in every other environment you're in in life, where everybody's opinion is the same. You know, welcome to America. The things we do where we honor this democracy above what the word of God is saying. God's saying, I'm going to have a high priest. I'm going to put him in place. I'm going to surround him with men. They're going to have similar jobs. But this guy, what does he do? He bears the names of the tribes upon his shoulder. The image of these people are going to be this man's burden. Not, not carrying the ark. Not carrying the tabernacle. Not Carrying any, any other, well, that's kind of a light load. Two little stones, rest of us. I mean, the lid on the Ark of the Covenant alone weighs 700 pounds. Why, these priests got to carry this big old box, and this guy just gets to, because God said so. The burden this priest is going to bear is the people. His heart and his mind are going to be fixed upon the people, not tearing down the tabernacle, not carrying the heavy loads, not doing all of the other manual labor. The thing he's going to labor in, more than anything, is prayer. Prayer for the nation. Prayer for the people. He's going to bear their names upon his shoulder. This chain described at the end, in verse 15, you shall make the breastplate of judgment. Artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen, 
you shall make it. It shall be a double or doubled into a square, a span. So the width, the average width of a man's hand. It's going to be a span shall be its length. A span shall be its width. You shall put settings of stones in it. Four rows of stones. Four rows of three is what we're going to see. So the first row shall be sardis, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, jasanith, an agate, and amethyst. The fourth row, beryl, or an onyx, jasper. They shall be set in gold settings, and the stones shall have the names of the stones, or sons of Israel, rather, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. Little things that stand out, you know, the more mature you become as a Christian, you hear little things and you go, I wonder if that person's a Christian. Just the way they talk, I mean, you know, you you say to somebody, how are things going? Oh, I'm blessed. Oh, that's an uncommon word. <laughs> Why would you refer to yourself as blessed? That implies there's one who has imparted to you blessing. So I always ask when these little catchphrases, finely tuned things come up and you go, what's going on with this? Most often you find out that they're Christians. Here are stones that bear the name of each tribe. My mind immediately went to John the Baptist. Wilderness in the Jordan, baptizing, telling people to repent of their sins, putting them in the water as a symbol of washing away their sins. And the Pharisees show up. right? And he rebukes them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath of God. And in that rebuke, he says, God could have raised up children from these stones. Here's a group of stones referencing the children of Israel. Valuable, precious, you know, really ornate. What you hear God saying is, I can take whoever's name out of that I want to and put whoever's name in there I want to. Which is what he does, right? Go forward to Revelation and all of us who have been saved are given a new name which is written upon a stone which only we know which comes into this breastplate. We're going to see later there's an ephod, and they keep the Urim and Thummim inside that. We think those might have been two identically cut stones, one black, one white. The idea is positive or negative, yes or no, approval or disapproval. So they would pray, Lord, show us your will, whatever it might be. Should we go to war against this nation? And after praying, the priest would reach in, and as far as we can tell, he would pull out, and if it was a white stone, then it would be yes, approval. That new name written upon the stone in the book of Revelation, when it's given to those that receive it, it's written upon a white stone. I honestly don't care what color my stone is, as long as it's white. <laughs> right? Henry Ford, years ago, said, oh, you can get the Model T Ford in any color you want, as long as it's black. <clears throat> I want my name to be written on a white stone. Born upon the breastplate of Jesus Christ. 
our high priest. These signify the twelve tribes. 28, verse 22. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords, pure gold. You shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate. To put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate, then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. The other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. So all of those details, clear as mud as far as what's being said. Breastplates right on the breast, just like you would think. This man's bearing these stones with the names of all of them upon it. Two rings, the end of the breastplate on the edge, as we said, you know, this, uh, which is on the inner side, 27. The two other rings, gold the same, put them on the other two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So, you know, this breastplate here permanently affixed but doesn't shroud any of the very ornate work that wraps around the midsection of the priest. 28 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his head, or excuse me, over his heart, when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment, and here it is, the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord. So the breastplate over his heart and that sense of emotion, the Lord is literally wanting us to get the picture of these names being close to his heart. Uh, we're going to see the names on his shoulder. He's bearing the load. We see the name on his heart, the, the seat of emotion where he would be connected to them. Now, I want to just say the Urim and Thummim, we honestly, I just described them white and black stone. That's speculation. We honestly don't know what the Urim and Thummim were. We know this. They were kept together inside the breastplate pouch. And when the priest wanted to inquire, inquire of the Lord, he would reach in and how he took the stones out would determine the answer of the Lord. And as far as we can see in the scripture, when they were used, the answers always came as yes or no. So there's some assumption and there's some historic reference from the Jews that these were white and black stones of identical cut. So bottom line is, we don't know. It was something kept in the breastplate, and this is significant. I know I'm really chewing the details out of this, but follow this. We don't know specifically what they were other than stones kept in the pouch to determine God's will. We know that with a certainty. So now move forward to Joseph Smith and the Mormons. He finds these golden plates, supposedly, and he's interpreting them and writing down what he sees, and there's a whole discussion that goes on with that. That's all false. He never had gold plates. He never copied anything. But 
he writes these things down, and then the linguists want to ask, like, how did you determine these things? You just suddenly know how to read a foreign language that you've never seen before in your life? How is it you're able to read? Oh, well, God also gave me a special set of glasses. So when I put them on, I can read it in my own language. The glasses are known as the Urim and Thummim. Lie. Okay, <laughs> the Urim and Thummim were two stones inside the priest's pouch, and they determined God's will by them. They weren't the Captain Crunch decoder ring. You know what I'm saying? It's, anyway. <clears throat> I'll run through this real quick for you again. Uh, Joseph Smith's Lies, Book of Mormon. Um, this Bible that we have, uh, Moses wrote uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in Aramaic. They were translated into Hebrew. The rest of the Old Testament written in Hebrew. You get to the um, slavery of Israel when they were taken captive, and they all begin speaking Greek, and so they translate the Old Testament into Greek, known as the Septuagint. So you have Aramaic and Hebrew translated into Greek. From Greek... Uh, it is then translated into Latin and then into English, but then other portions are translated into German and then Latin and then English. So you've got always the staining, we might say, in this Bible when we read it. You can find, the linguists can easily find the remnants of Aramaic, the remnants of Hebrew, the remnants of Greek, the remnants of Latin, and German, and English, all through this, right? When Joseph Smith writes the Book of Mormon, guess what? It has all of the telltale marks of Aramaic, and Hebrew, and Greek, and Latin, and German, and English. Specifically, why? Because he copied the King James Bible. He literally just took passages out and translated them over and moved names and cities and locations. He made his own story from the King James language. So when you're using that and it's come through that specific track, all of those markers end up in place. He said his book was written from his translation with the Urim and Thummim from Reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics. That's just a word that he created, a phrase he created, because there's no such thing in linguistics, but reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics directly into English. Guess what? That would have only one remaining marker in it. You'd be able to see, oh, this has elements of reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics and English because it was translated directly from one to the other. Instead, you've got all the tainting from this Bible because he was plagiarizing. He was copying, not knowing what he was doing because he didn't have the proper Urim and Thummim. He's got his decoder glasses on, and that's what's throwing him off. Second uh, Corinthians, I would ask you to look with me at chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Beware of those guys. That's what I'm really saying. They show up on your door, and they sound smarter than us. Like you need to pay attention and worry about what they're saying. You don't even have to be polite. Just ask them to leave your property. I'm saying as a Christian from the Bible. Right? John tells us, New Testament, when someone comes to you preaching a gospel other than the one we preach, don't even greet them and have nothing to do with them. Do not welcome them into your home. 
lest you share in the curses that are coming to them. I'm not interested in any of that for myself or any of you. So don't feel any burden like, oh, as a Christian, I've really got to talk to these guys. Win them over. If you have that caliber, do so. If not, just send them on their way. My, my tactic is to get any literature that I can from them first, lock that inside the house, and then kick them off the property so that I can destroy the literature. I've taken it all from them in the past. All of it. Do you have any more of these books? Yes. Why do you want six copies of this? Can I have them or not? Just unload on me. All right, now get off my property. What are you going to do with all our books? Burn them. They're satanic. Right? Led me astray for a whole year. I wasted a year of my life following around their false teachings. Encourage you to reject them the same. So here, you've got the priestly garments being described. We're in First and Second Corinthians, but you've, you've got the priestly garments being described, and currently he's got the names on his shoulders, and he's got the breastplate on. If we move over to Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul talks about his ministry. He says, are they ministers of Christ? Speaking of the people who were coming and trying to pull people away from Paul, he said, I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure. You couldn't even count how many times I've been whipped. In prison, more frequently. In deaths, often. This guy has been stoned to death. And if you're not familiar with the process, if you just watch TV and they're like flinging rocks and hitting people in the head, that was the first goal. To snap up the baseball-sized rock and peg it right at the head. Because what you want to happen is for one to connect, and now the guy can't run. So now that he's stunned, get the bigger rocks. Once he's gone down, and just fling him over and just smash him until he's flat. When he's down, you get a group of people to go over and take a big rock and bring it all the way over and get right above his head or his chest cavity and one, two, and fling it up in the air. And let it smash that person's head or their chest cavity flat. Paul went through that. When he says in deaths, right? They dragged him outside the city and threw him in the trash. Because he was dead from stoning. And then breathes and gets up and walks back in the city and starts preaching again. You gotta like a determination like that. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes. Minus one. We don't even read about that stuff, do we? We read about Paul's perils. Where was there ever a scourging where he got 30 lashes or 39 lashes, you know, 40 minus one? He's endured it five times, according to what he's saying right here. Three times I was beaten with rods. So that's a separate beating, right? Lay your face down, big wooden canes, and just smash you on the back. You know, usually from the ball of your feet right to the back of your skull. It'll lay hard into your frame so that everything is broken and hurt when they're all done. Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. That's, that's going to be a frightening thought. No sight of land. In the deep. You're beyond the visibility of land. And... You're, you know, drowning for a night and a day. You've got to be really determined to not just give up in a situation such as that. In journeys often, in perils of water, and perils of robbers, 
perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils amongst false brethren and weariness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fasting often and cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. All the physical stuff, the work, the repair, the cleaning, the building, the, everything that involves church. Yeah, there's all of that that I have to be concerned about. And then on top of it, I've got to be concerned about the spiritual welfare of everyone that's involved. That's exactly what this priest is doing. He's bearing the names of the people upon his person. If he goes into it lightly, the process is going to teach him that he needs to have a very severe gravity about the situation that he's in as a priest. Other priestly garments described. 28 verse 31. You shall make a robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for the head in the middle of it, as you would put it down over your head. It shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening of a coat of mail, very sturdy, so that it does not tear. You want something that's extremely durable. Upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, bells of gold, between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe all around. Notice this, it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. Uh, worded a little awkwardly, it's the idea of, uh, he's going to have these bells around his ephod so that when he goes in, if he doesn't come out, then you'll know it's because he died. So they would stand and listen. The bells are still ringing, so Aaron must be okay. And they're still ringing. And then they get caught up in conversation and it goes silent. Hey, did the bells stop? They actually developed the practice of tying a rope around the ankle of the priest when he went in once a year to offer his offering to the Lord inside the Holy of Holies so that if the bells stopped and they call out his name and there's no answer, they're able to pull his dead body out from underneath. Somehow offended the Lord and was struck dead. Got to have the bells on so that you can hear whether the poor guy's still alive. That Look, if you weren't serious about your position before the first time you step behind that curtain you're going to be thinking everything over really seriously there's there's literally a death penalty waiting for you on the other side the severity of god the fear of the lord something our cultures lost all together look at verse 36 you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of the signet Holiness to the Lord. This proclamation, title, is what really what it is. And you shall put it on a blue cord, and it shall be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things 
which the children of Israel hallow and all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. I've had a couple of occasions to go and speak in New York. And um, on one of those occasions, without thinking, I had uh, packed my New England Patriots sweatshirt. And uh, just before I went up to preach, my wife said, you may not want to wear that here. And I'm thinking, like, why? And she go, she's finally like, some of the guys have already said things about the fact that you're from New England. And that's not their sports teams. You know, out here, Jets, Bills, Giants. you got all kinds of choice, just not the Patriots. When you're wearing the hat, when you're wearing the proclamation, people walk up to you, they can see this person is about the New England Patriots, or this person is about... This person right here is about holiness to the Lord. When you encounter him, what is written on his forehead, emblazed in a golden plate upon his head, is the statement, holiness to the Lord. Does the world get that presentation from us? Right, right on our clothing, on our hats, upon our face, upon our person, that upon seeing us, they know we're about Jesus. They can recognize. There's something different. You know what the thing is that stands out all the time for me? I get talking to people. Is they? I don't even notice it, but they quickly notice, this guy doesn't swear. You know, quickly, you know, people start like censoring themselves. I don't care. I, I often will tell them as they're trying to communicate with me and they're stumbling over their words because now they're trying to edit everything they're saying. I just say, you know, if that ever changes for you, great. But right now, it's your native tongue. So don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, people that come here, the 3.8 million visitors that come to Acadia National Park every year, they're from all over the world. You know, they're trying to ask you simple questions in their completely tortured English. They don't have that speech at all. It's literally not their language. There's a world out there that doesn't have our speech. And when they walk up and talk to us, I pray that it's a pleasantness that they experience. They recognize sort of the emblazoned holiness to the Lord upon our lives, but hopefully it's a thing that invites them into that worship. That in seeing it, the beauty that it is would cause them to want that same thing for themselves. So, you know, this, this ex, uh, statement that they would be acceptable to the Lord, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, literally on your forehead. The word of God, the commandments of the Lord, should be 
an ever-present display in our lives. You know, Joshua 1.8. God is telling Joshua, when you go into the land, you're going to have to keep all of the law, the words that are written in this book, they shall not depart from your mouth. Meaning, we should never find you without them in your mouth. The word of God should ever be on the frontlets of your face, in your mouth, coming out of your mouth. Our, our forward presentation to the world should be Jesus as much as we can. That they would see that and hear that in our lives all of the time. Look at verse 39. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen. You shall make the sash of woven work. So something that's going to have a little more rustic feel to it rather than the fine woven thread. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So they better be glorious and beautiful. So you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. The anointing oil he's going to talk about, but pour this anointing oil over them in abundance. They're going to smell of this anointing oil uh, a lot. It's going to be fragrant to people that were within 15 feet of them, 10 or 15 feet. You pour this oil over the priest's head, and that fragrance is going to linger on his person. And all of this fragrance we're going to see, God gets very specific in the next chapter, is very specific to his house of worship. Uh, they don't allow anyone to make any other fragrance that's even similar to what's being described here because God wants the fragrance of his house to be unique. That pleasant odor of the priest's anointing oil, the present pleasant odor that's in all of the incense that's burning, that's in all of the anointing oil, which they consecrate everything with. This fragrance is going to permeate this setting. You know how it is. I've talked about it many times. You know, fragrance, uh, odor, that, that is the sort of thing that inspires the heart dramatically, right? If I say, you know, <clears throat> it's always nice to walk into the house after like shoveling. None of you are looking forward to that. And, um, you know, you step into like fresh baked bread. The house just smells like fresh baked bread. It's just something that happens to your heart. You know, there, there are certain combinations of smells that'll transport you right out of where you are to another place in another time. You know, uh, if, I, if I get into a vehicle and I can smell the inexpensive vinyl upholstery, uh, fuel, usually number two heating oil or kerosene, and a slight tinge of cigarettes. I'm a kid in my grandfather's car. Just like that. Just reduce me to my childhood instantly. I'm in Ralph Bolster's car. Right? You've probably got things, right? The right combination of mothballs and good cooking and who knows what. And suddenly you're at Nana's. You know, so you're, you're, you're trance. This fragrance was supposed to be specific to the priesthood and his tabernacle. You're anywhere else in the world and you smell this, your brain's going to immediately be back here at this worship. 
especially because it's so specific to only this location. God wants everything associated with him to be unique and holy and sanctified to him. There's a big problem in the church today of trying to be like the world where now you don't you don't know am I at church or am I not at church? Am I what am I experiencing here? It's all the same. It's all the same. It's an unfortunate thing to watch ministers today literally trying to change the atmosphere of their churches so that they'll be more worldly, so that people of the world will be comfortable in the church. We need to make a presentation that's inviting and comfortable, but in the end, the Word of God isn't going to change. We're going to have to look at this, face it, and embrace it as it is. So let it be unique. Let it be a thing that causes us to have a very individual understanding of our circumstances. Here, anoint them. Consecrate them. You're going to cleanse them and sanctify them. Set them apart for my purposes that they may minister to me as priests. So this group, anointed, consecrated, sanctified, they belong to me. 42. You shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thigh. Uh, they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. You know, cause this you know, iniquity and die to expose their nakedness to anyone was against the law, was against the Levitical law, and in particular as the priesthood. They have to walk up the steps. The Lord specifically addresses this, that they have to walk up the steps. They're in a robe. There's the potential that someone could see up their robe. And the Lord says no, even when it comes down to their private parts and their nakedness, that shouldn't be part of worship. You should put things in place that help protect people's dignity, help protect people's privacy, so that everyone is able to have the experience without any sinful worldliness involved. So, just close with this thought for us all this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9. I strongly encourage you to at least write the reference down. Take it home. Study this. Here Peter says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices rather than physically offering you know, a, a bull or something like that. There are spiritual sacrifices to be made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then, down in verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I have this discussion with a lot of people who've been around Christianity for a long time. And I'll start talking about, well, there are certain things that as believers uh, we should participate in or, or we shouldn't participate in. There are some pretty clear definitions throughout the scripture. And people argue, well, I don't see that in the scripture. I find that as a Christian, I'm able to do 
those things. And then when you point out to them, wait a second, are you applying the understanding of a priest to yourself? Because the Lord got rid of the priesthood. Got rid of it. He took the place of the only priest. He's now the high priest over Christianity. And we have direct access to his throne room. That's why the veil was torn in the temple. To show us we can go directly into the Holy of Holies. Jesus is our priest. There is no need for us to establish a priesthood because according to him, we are all priests. Every one of us is a priest to the world. So our conduct as Christians... So very often, Christians try to dumb it down. It's much higher the standard that the Lord is giving us. Wants us to live as the example to the world, that they would look to us and recognize there's something different about that person that I want to experience, I want to understand. The priesthood in your life, in your life, not mine. I'm not pointing to myself in that as the priest. There is no the priest over us other than Jesus. We, as sons and daughters of God, are in that priesthood. This priesthood, Aaron, his sons, right? Family. We are sons of the living God. Family. We're kings and priests in this kingdom. I think that all of us should examine what the scripture says about being a priest and look to share that as diligently with the world as we see these Old Testament priests fulfilling their offices. A dedication, a consecration, an anointing, and sanctification in our lives that ministers to the world around us. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. We'll pick up with chapter 29 next week. Father, I thank you for your love and your graciousness in our lives, and I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We accept the filling we've received. We also see in the scripture, your apostles were asking to be continuously filled with your spirit. Overflow us. Fill us anew. Help us to love people. Help us to minister to people, to reach out to the world with just an open and accepting hand, Lord. The same love you, you shared with us that drew us into yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.